And here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Wednesday, May 31st, 2017. As always, broadcasting from the studios in beautiful downtown Brooklyn. I am always as your host, Jamal Hayden. And we are, that of course was Devo with uh, the controversially named Mongoloid uh, off their uh, uh, first album, Question Are We Not Men? Answer We Are Devo from, I believe, 1978 or 1979. Um, May 31st, boy, sure doesn't seem like it. Uh, This has been one terrible month weather-wise. I mean, April was stinky, May was stinky, we had a couple of summer-ish days, 90 degrees, but other than that, it's been pretty awful, and (laughs) no more so than last night over there at City Field. Boy, I'll tell you, man, uh, I guess it must be where uh, City Field and then prior to that, Shea Stadium are located close to uh, Flushing Bay, but you'll never see more dreary, dank, gray, depressing games and, and nights, which lead to depressing games, uh, than you will at, at City Field and, as I said, prior to that Shea Stadium. And last night was certainly no exception. It was, so it was extra inning game. Mets finally, by some miracle, won in 12 innings. Um, but they, the camera crew panned to where the Shake Shack is in City Field, which literally is like a 10-deep line. Granted, it was the 12th inning, and so probably past midnight, but it, there was no one there. I mean, I guess they had closed it down anyway, but you could just see the sort of the mist through the lights of the stadium, and, and, and as Keith Hernandez aptly pointed out, it looked like a ghost town. I mean, it was... <laughs> and, and the Mets were careening to another one of those mind-numbing, gut-wrenching, horrendous losses last night after taking a 4-1 lead on the strength of... Some good pitching by Tyler Pill, recently called up from the minors, kind of a, a minor league veteran, just turned 27, was having an outstanding year at AAA Las Vegas, had an ERA under two, um, which is impressive, as we've talked about often on the show, Las Vegas, Pacific Coast League in general, uh, Las Vegas specifically, tough place to pitch, very much hitter-friendly parks, a hitter-friendly league, um, and so those numbers are impressive, you would think. Uh, of course, the Mets, in their infinite wisdom, waited till now to call him up, even though, as we've talked about, they've had multiple uh, openings for, for a starter to come in. But he's not considered a prospect at this point because of his age and also because he doesn't have, quote-unquote, plus stuff, as the scouts like to say. You know, he's a finesse guy. And if you're a righty and a finesse guy, see, it's funny. If you're a lefty and a finesse guy, you can get away with it, which is why the Mets signed Tommy Malone, who stunk, um... No surprise, you know he was he had a six ERA for the Brewers, and yet the Mets thought that he was a good choice uh, rather than just call this kid up. Not really a kid, but call this guy up, which again, you know, brings raises questions as to the Mets' competence in, as far as their decision makers around talent are concerned. You know, this is the same Mets team that was going to keep Michael Conforto in AAA to start the year. Michael Conforto, who's been their best player, and it's not even close to start the year. Okay, when you package everything together, offense, defense, you know, the complete game offensively, right? High on base percentage, power, RBIs, 
miscast as a leadoff hitter. That's the manager's fault, as usual. But has been doing a great job getting on base in the leadoff spot, driving in runs when he has an opportunity. You know, the average is over 300, on base percentage is over 400, slugging is in the 500s. He's done everything he could want. And he plays a solid defense as well. He plays a solid left field. But the Mets, remember, we're not going to keep him. He was going to go to AAA, but Juan Lagares got hurt, so there was an opening for him. Now, he took the bull by the horns and has capitalized on, on his expanded playing time, but he was not going to be part of the plans. And, and also because Cespedes got hurt. Otherwise, I'm sure we'd still be seeing Curtis Granderson with his now still 200-200 under 200 batting average. I mean, I know everybody's all excited because he got to 195 last night. Okay, still on the interstate. And as we've talked about many times, is nobody's idea of a gold glove center fielder. You know, he's competent at the stuff he can get to again, but he can't throw and he doesn't have much range anymore. And Jay Bruce has had a pretty good year. Got the game-winning hit last night in the 12th inning. Kudos. He's hit for some power. He's been streaky. That's what he is. He's a lumbering lumox out in right field. I mean, he's not a good right fielder. So the Mets, you know, hemmed and hawed and finally brought this guy Tyler Pill up, and he pitched very well last night. Now, again, yeah, I know he doesn't light up the radar gun. He tops out at about 91 miles an hour. You know what he does, though? He throws inside. Did it last night. Big spot in the game after a leadoff quote-unquote triple that Jay Bruce mangled a fly ball to right field that Jay Bruce butchered into a triple. A competent right fielder makes the catch. Gets the first guy to pop up on what? An 0-2 pitch inside. Jam shot to the third baseman. Little pop-up. Strikes out Travis Shaw looking on a 3-2 pitch on what? Inside fastball after going away, 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 off-speed stuff. Dots the fastball in the inside corner to strike him out looking for the second out and then got the third guy to ground out. Great job of pitching. That was in the fourth inning, I believe. With the Mets already trailing 1-0. By the way, he gave up a run in the first inning. Again, three balls barely get to the outfield. The Mets' infield defense is atrocious. It is absolutely atrocious. There is no range to speak of there. Listen, I understand as Drupal Cabrera is a good locker room guy, clubhouse guy, whatever you want to say. He can hit a little bit. Uh, Last year, he played a good shortstop, better than I thought he would, better than as advertised. But he didn't have a lot of range last year, but he made every play that he got to last year. This year, he's been wretched, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And then Neil Walker, same thing. I mean, he's shorthanded, but he doesn't get to anything. And Lucas Duda is okay at throws in the dirt and very little else. And Jose Reyes is not a third baseman. So the Mets infield defense is a mess. It's a mess. And their outfield defense isn't much better. I mean, you really only have one adequate center uh, outfielder out there in Conforto. I'd say Curtis Granderson's below average as a center fielder, and Jay Bruce is below average as a right fielder. And only the Mets would do this. Only in their infinite wisdom, infinite wisdom you know, a team that's supposedly built around pitching would then support, quote-unquote, their pitchers with terrible defense. I mean, it's a beer league softball team. It's a beer league softball team. A bunch of lumbering, slow, unathletic players. But anyway, getting back to Pill, he pitched a very nice game. Five and a third. The one run, which really you could argue shouldn't have even given up the one run. And, you know, then the Mets bullpen comes in and does its thing. 
which is walk people. You know, Salas came in with a guy on, got the first out. Uh, actually, Travis Darnell actually threw out a stolen base uh, attempt, a runner attempting a stolen base, alert the media, stop the presses. Um, but then he comes out for the seventh inning and he just starts walking the world again. And then Blevins comes in, gets one out, then walks a guy with the bases loaded. Walking a run. Then he gets a pop-up to end the inning, except no, as Drupal Cabrera drops a pop-up in very Luis Castillo-esque fashion. And the game was tied at four. So away goes Tyler Pills win. Away goes uh, Luke's Duda hit two on Homer uh, earlier to make them, to put the Mets up four one. And you know, so you're feeling good. You're feeling like okay, we're looking good here. We're going to win this. You know, four one. We got to get to Addison Reed in the ninth. Give him a, a little cushion here. And now it's four four. And now it's misting and cold, and it's just awful. Just awful. And, of course, the Mets now, off their bats go into hibernation down the stretch. Last couple innings, eighth inning, ninth inning, they, they, they offer very little resistance. Uh, Conforto got a hit with two outs in the ninth. That was that. Um, and uh, I, frankly, I turned the game off. <laughs> I could not. I did. There's nothing more depressing than City Field when the weather's bad like that there's about, you know, probably 5,000 people left in the stands. And, you know, the Mets go into no-hit mode where their batters are just not – you have no confidence that anybody's going to be able to get a hit. There's nothing more depressing to watch it. And I'm more than about to stay up late to watch that. So I went to sleep. I turned it off. I went to sleep. I was pleasantly surprised when I woke this morning to see that the Mets had pulled it out in the 12th inning, 5-4. On a clutch hit by Jay Bruce. After T.J. Rivera led off with a single, um, Conforto walked. Then Jose Reyes is up. Terry Collins eschewed the bunt. You know, for, again, reasons known only to Terry Collins. Mets got lucky. Reyes on a one-two pitch basically hit what amounted to a swinging bunt up the first baseline. First baseman got the uh, out at second. And then Bruce, base hit up the middle, sends everybody home happy. Nice. Good win. Much needed win. All wins for the Mets are much needed at this point. Um, and I'll give Cabrera the credit for this. He did not shy away. He didn't try to make excuses for the weather, that the, the mist or the rain. Or, he said, basically, I just bleeped it up. It's a family show. Can't say what he really said, but you get the idea. And then he looked over at Bruce and said, thanks, JB. For bailing me out. I mean, look, he's very as Drupal Cabrera is an extremely likable guy. You know, he, he's a good, he's a leader in the clubhouse. He gets clutch hits. I mean, he's likable. You know, he's been playing hurt all year, right? His legs they they won't specify what's wrong with his legs, but he's got injured or tired or whatever legs. Then he had the thumb injury, which of course the Mets botched that as usual, as we pointed out many times. You know. And frankly, his best position right now should probably be second or third base. You know, he's played second base before and played it well. And again, with Ahmed Rosario now hitting 357 at AAA with 38 RBIs, I believe, in about 50 games. And, you know, young, athletic. I mean, the, ne- the Mets need an injection of some athleticism in the worst way. So call the kid up. 
Move Cabrera over to third. You know, see, the problem is Cabrera is re- rarely played third base, so I, I don't know how good he'd be there, but you'd think he should be able to handle the position okay. If, you know, if he's a competent shortstop, or he used to be a competent shortstop, he should be able to handle it. You know, but the position has more experience playing other than shortstop at second base, but you're not moving Neil Walker out of there, I guess, although I know Neil Walker has had a nice May. You know, he, he, again, they're like the same guy. Neil Walker has a little bit more power, but he and Cabrera are like the same guy. They're switch hitters. They're slow. They're lumbering players. I mean, they're just, you know, they're steady, steady gloves usually, although, you know, Cabrera has seven errors already this year. Seven. He had seven all of last year in like 135 games. He has seven errors this year. Not to mention the fact that he's botched at least two double play balls this year that don't count as errors because you can't assume the double play, one of which was last night. Now, it didn't lead to a run, but, you know, it's extra pitches, extra batters. You know, it all kind of adds up. So it seems for all the world, the logical move is to call up Rosario Move Cabrera to third base. Make Reyes a bench player slash utility guy. You know, the problem again, though, is that you already kind of have that guy in Wilmer Flores. Different player than Reyes. Much better hitter at this point in his career. But obviously doesn't give you a lot of speed or athleticism. He gives you none. I mean, talk about a plotting player. That's Wilmer Flores. But he can hit and he gets clutch hits. Not great with the glove, as we've seen. So, you know, the Mets are sort of a bunch of ill-fitting pieces. Cabrera and Neil Walker are kind of the same guy. Reyes and, and Flores, while not the same guy, as far as their games, they serve, should be best, Reyes would be best served as a utility guy, but that's already Flores' role. You know, Flores can play second, third, short in a pinch, and first base. You know, Reyes can play third and short and second. He's not going to play first. You know, he gives the Mets some speed. I mean, he's the only guy that gives them any speed, really. Conforto can run a little bit. Reyes leads the team with six stolen bases. I mean, you know. But Reyes is hitting 200. I mean, he's not exactly killing it. And his defense is shaky at third. It's better at short, but he's not. he certainly doesn't have the range he used to when he was younger. So, you know, the Mets have kind of uh, painted themselves into a corner here. But they keep insisting that Rosario's not ready. Uh, you know, again, why, why would I trust them? Again, same team that was going to leave Michael Conforto, uh, put him in AAA to start the year. He's been their best player. And this is the same team that thought Tommy Malone was a good idea, that Adam Wilk was a good idea when he had to make the emergency start uh, for Harvey. You know, I won't kill them about Rafael Montero because he's 26 he was a big prospect for them. He's had success in the minors, and he has an arm. He has stuff. He throws in the mid-90s. You know, now, he for some reason, he was a guy in the minor leagues that was known for never walking anyone. He walks the world in the major leagues. He just, I guess he just doesn't trust the stuff enough, and he walks everybody. So, but I won't kill the Mets for giving him a couple of opportunities to start. Like last week's game against the Padres when they moved DeGrom back a day because they thought the game might get interrupted and or rained out. They didn't want to risk uh, wasting a start by DeGrom. And of course, in typical, and it was the right decision. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you can make the right decision and the results are bad. And sometimes you can make the wrong decision and the results are good. This was an instance where 
the Mets made the right decision, but of course it turned out with the way their luck has been, which is gone, which has been you know they've had none, none lately, no luck. It ended up being a bad move. It wasn't a bad, again the, the result was bad. The, the Mets played the whole game. Montero was, was not good. He gave up three runs in, in three innings. Um, by the way, part of that was Michael Conforto losing a ball in the lights that ended up being a double, at the, and the run ended up scoring. But uh, he wasn't good. The Mets ended up losing the game 4-3. But then DeGrom was lights out the next night in Pittsburgh, you know, pitched eight in the third, struck out whatever it was, 10, only gave up the one run. So it was a good decision. It just didn't work out on that night for the Mets. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, the Mets need to do something. I mean, they, they, they've got a log jam of guys on the infield. And, you know, the problem is that probably the only guy in that mix that could get you anything in a trade right now would be Wilmer Flores. And if I, 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 don't, want, I don't want Wilmer Flores going anywhere. He's met. We saw the whole thing two years ago when he thought he was traded and he was literally crying on the field. Then two nights later, I think it was maybe even the next night, he hits a game-winning home run against the Nationals. Kid loves it here, wants to be here. Again, gets clutch hits. Not a perfect player. Definitely flawed. But he kills left-handed pitching. He's hit 275, a respectable 275 against righties this year. He's got power. You know, he's not the greatest glove, but he can play Multiple positions on the infield in a pinch. I think it's probably his best position is first base. Maybe second. Um, but I don't want him going anywhere. But he's the only thing that would probably fetch you anything because he's still young and he can hit. I mean, he'd be a perfect DH in the American League. Especially, you know, he don't make any money. So if you're a team like Tampa Bay or, you know, one of the small market teams with a small payroll, you wanted a young, controllable player to be your DH... He's, he's your guy. But I, I don't want him going anywhere. And, you know, you're not getting anything for Jose Reyes at this point. Maybe you'd get something for Neil Walker, not much. But, you know, the Mets consider him a big piece. I, I, again, I don't get it. I, I, you know, I don't hate Neil Walker as a player. He's okay, but he's hardly irreplaceable to me. Uh, and Cabrera's not going to get you anything either. You know, particularly with all the injury stuff. So, you know, again, the Mets have sort of mismanaged their roster and, and painting themselves into a bit of a corner. Um, but a good win. Listen, at this point, it'd be great. You know, they got DeGrom going today. Uh, and then I guess Harvey goes tomorrow. Um, or no, is it Wheeler? Uh, let's see. Yeah. DeGrom tonight, Wheeler tomorrow. I mean, you'd love, of course, to get the sweep against the Brewers who swept the Mets when the Mets were in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at this point, it's kind of you got to just kind of hope for baby steps and just keep winning series. They won two out of three against Pittsburgh. They could have swept the series at a gut-wrenching loss uh, on Saturday night when Addison Reed blew the save. You know, But Wheeler also gave up three runs when it should have only been two because Neil Walker booted uh, would have been a surefire double play. And only ended up giving up, uh, getting one out. Um, you know, I, I mean, again, you know, the Mets. Uh, the, so many times, the Mets' uh, problems are, are self-inflicted. Um, but would have been nice to sweep that series, of course. That you took two out of three. Would it be great to win all four against the Brewers? Yeah, get three out of four. Then they go on the road. They play Texas. Looks like Cespedes could be coming back next week. 
He was supposed to have already been back this week. Then, of course, he had another setback. This time it was his quadricep, not his hamstring, but the quadricep is what held him, put him on the DL last year. I mean, it's just always something. It's always something. So, but just keep winning series. I mean, there's still plenty, plenty of time left in the season. You still have three full months left. No, sorry. June, July, August. Four full months. June, July, August, September. I mean, four full months. It's plenty of time. I understand the Nationals have a big lead right now, and they look really good, and it looks like maybe their their bullpen issues have stabilized somewhat with Coda Glover. Uh, the rookie has stepped into the closer's role and has been okay. He's been better. Um, but, you know, it... It's it it's not over. There's plenty of time. You know, the problem is, as it stands now, the wild card is going to be tough to come by. I mean, it, it would appear. You know, if indeed Arizona and Colorado are for real. Now, Colorado's kind of taken it on the chin the last couple of games at home against Seattle, of all teams, who's really struggled this year, um, mainly because all their starting pitchers are hurt. But... Um, you know, so in the dot, I mean, right now in the West, you've got three teams that are about, you know, each of them at or around 10 games over 500, and the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. And the Giants have played better of late, although they've lost the last two to the Nationals. You know, the NL Central is all bunched up. You know, I, I wouldn't suspect the Brewers are in it for the long haul. You know, they're a couple of games over 500. The Cubs are right around 500. You'd expect at some point the Cubs will take off. Although, you know, if Lackey and, and Arietta are not going to pitch well for the Cubs, they're not going to take off. If those guys are going to have five ERAs all year. Then they're not going to take off. Um, and, you know, and Kyle Hendricks, I mean, again, he's one of these soft tossing righties. You know, he, he's okay. He's not as good as he was last year where he, I think, led the league in ERA. And he's shown that this year. I think he's got an ERA more in line with his stuff, which is, I think, in the high threes. Which is okay for a fourth starter. But, uh, again, their ace, Arietta, you know, co-ace, if you want to say Lester's the other ace, has been bad. And John Lackey hasn't been very good. Lester's been pretty good. Hendricks has been uh, so-so. They've got a good bullpen. Um, and their lineup hasn't really hit to its potential yet. So, you know, again, I suspect the Cubs are not going to be a 500 team all year, I don't think. Now, whether they're going to win the division, we'll see. Again, they got to pitch better. And then in the East, it's really the Mets and, you know, the Nationals, and then, and then maybe the Mets. The rest of the division is awful. I mean, the Marlins, I think, are 6-24 and in the last 30 games. Atlanta's a horror show. And the Phillies are no, sorry. The Phillies are six and twenty-four in their last thirty games. The Marlins aren't any good, and, and the Braves stick. So, uh, you know, the the the, the, the NL East. See, that's the other thing too. Is the Mets played a bunch of games already against the NL East? They didn't take advantage of it. They sort of slogged their way through. But they've got plenty left, so we'll see. And then speaking of the Nationals and the Giants, we had the uh, the, the Bryce Harper, uh, Scott Strickland dust up. So two days ago, I guess it was. Yeah, it was on Memorial Day. 
Now, just to give you a little bit of the background for those out there that there may not be aware, three years ago, three, 2014, in the playoffs, uh, Strickland served up two home runs to Bryce Harper in the playoffs. Giants ended up winning the series, by the way, and going on to win the World Series. But, uh, you know, look, Bryce Harper is a punk, okay? He's a punk. He's a hot dog. He's a look-at-me guy. He's a punk. I mean, if he's on your team, you love him. You know, super talented. You'd probably say maybe the second-best player in the league behind Mike Trout. No, no debate there. He's a great player. But he's a punk. I mean, he's, he's thoroughly unlikable unless you're a Nationals fan. Right? He's got a big mouth. He's always got something to say. And, you know, he hits two home runs off Strickland in the playoffs, and he's styling and profiling, you know, doing his thing, taking his sweet time, getting around the bases. And so the second time, Strickland had about had enough and stared him down. And then Bryce Harper gets the, gets the dugout and starts chirping at him, right? Well, I guess Strickland has a long memory because uh, this was the first time he'd had an opportunity to face him since then. And he drilled him right in the hip with about, you know, a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. And Harper knew. I mean, the whole world knew. I mean, it's not, it wasn't even a pretend. I mean, everybody knew what, what that was about. And Harper took exception, and he ran out to, to go fight him. Okay. Except he brought his helmet and then threw it at him. Although the, the helmet slipped out of his hand, so it went sideways. looked ridiculous. But weak, that's weak. Okay, if you're going to go out and fight a guy, go out and fight a guy. Don't throw a helmet at a guy. And, you know, there's a lot of chatter, a lot of articles being written. Oh, you know, you can't be throwing a guy. He hit him in the hip. He didn't throw at his head. Even Harper admitted, it conceded that, you know, look, if, if you're going to hit me, at least that's the spot to hit me. And, you, you know, you, you, you can debate all you want whether or not Strickland should have gotten over it since it's three years ago and the Giants won the World Series. Okay, I, 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 I'll buy that. But again, Harper brings out the worst in people. Opposing players don't like him. And he brings it on himself. He does, it's like, he, he covets it. He goes out of his way to do this stuff. You know, he's on record as saying, oh, baseball's too old and stodgy and we need to be able to, you know, express ourselves more. And, you know, again, I'm all for, you know, we talked about it during the World Baseball Classic. I'm all for legitimate enthusiasm when it's not directed towards the other team or when you're not blatantly showing up the other team. Okay. That's that's to me the difference. Right? There's nothing wrong with unbridled enthusiasm unlike Billy, you know, except that was Billy Mumphrey's downfall. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that to me. You know, when it's when it when it's when it's genuine, and it comes in you know in, the, in a big spot in a big big spot in a big game. You know, you hit a home run, you you, know, you celebrate. Okay, it's fine. But don't be chirping at the other play at the pitcher. You know, don't 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 show guys up. That's all. It's pretty simple. You'd think. So anyway. Harper goes out there, you know, a couple of blows are exchanged. They kind of hit each other. Um, to me, 
The worst part about that whole situation is that Buster Posey, the Giants catcher, just stood there and he didn't, and he didn't, he didn't try to hold Harper back and he left his pitcher hanging out to dry. And I'm sorry. I, I don't care if Buster Posey um, disapproves of Strickland hitting Harper there. He's your teammate. You go defend him. Ridiculous. Maybe we'll get some more rules changes put in place for you, Buster. So that, you know, oh, Buster Posey got hurt, so now we can't run over catchers anymore. You know, I mean, this guy's a whiner. He whined about the All-Star game a couple of years ago. Now, look, to be fair, he didn't institute the change, but I didn't hear him say that he thought it was silly. And as Keith Hernandez has pointed out many times, if that was a backup catcher, no way Major League Baseball makes the change where you can't run over a catcher now. At home plate. And maybe I'm a barbarian for thinking that that should still be part of the game. I, I Maybe. Maybe I am. But I think it's silly. And now, the, the, you know, and, and, and now, of course, you know, it's the same thing with the, with, the, with the plays at second base. Baseball has made it so vague now where you can't really block the plate, but you can't run over the catcher either. I mean... It's silly. You know, it was a freak thing. This was not like it was it was a uh, an epidemic where catchers were getting run over all the time and guys were getting hurt all the time and missing significant. It was one guy, Buster Posey. So anyway, getting back to this brawl situation, I mean, you're the catcher. You got to get out there. You got to protect your pitcher. You don't just stand there behind the home plate. He didn't move a muscle. Now, you want to say something to the pitcher after the game in the clubhouse, hey, don't do that nonsense because, you know, whatever. I might be the next guy to get dusted off or to get hit. That's fine. But you got to go protect your, your teammate. I'm sorry. Weak. Weak by Buster Posey. But not surprising, given who Buster Posey is. I, I, know, the, I know the baseball world loves Buster Posey. Yeah, whatever. And to me, that, that, that he showed his true colors right there. That is weak. Weak on Bryce Harper to throw the helmet. You could say weak on Strickland's part to be holding on to a grudge for three years. Fine. I'll buy that. And I'm weak by Buster Posey to just stand there. So Strickland got six games. Harper got four. Listen, I don't. I have no love for Bryce Harper. You know, appreciate and, and respect his talent. Um, again, unlikable unless you're uh, a Nationals fan. But that's absurd. I mean, it's silly. He's a, Strickland's a relief pitcher, and so six games is not that big a deal because he's not going. It's not like he plays every day. Harper got four. That's okay. I mean, I think that's probably fair because you want to discourage guys from rushing the mound and, and punching, you know, guys. That, that that's okay. I don't mind. The, I think the four is, is okay, but I think Strickland's got to get ten. Then I mean, you know, he's clearly the instigator in this uh, situation. It doesn't make any sense. Six, six and four, it's not, it's not an equitable distribution of suspension of games. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back right after this.
And we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports, coming out of the break with uh, Electronic, saying name of the song, Some Distant Memory, the uh, the cream, if you will, of the, uh, the 90s alternative scene. Electronic made up of Johnny Marr from The Smiths, Bernard Sumner, uh, lead singer from New Order, and Neil Tennant, lead singer from The Pet Shop Boys. I think probably only here is where you would hear that song. They made one album, I believe. Uh, good album. If uh, you are a fan of any of those three groups, uh, I recommend it highly. Anyway, we get back to uh, the world of sports. And uh, interesting little uh, nugget in Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback column on Monday. Uh, did an interview with John Mara, the uh, owner uh, of the Giants, or principal owner of the Giants, um, and in this uh, interview, John Mara uh, stated that um, he's never gotten more mail and, and, and more emotional mail uh, from his fans, from fans of the Giants, uh, than he did about the Colin Kaepernick situation, which is, you know, kneeling uh, and not standing for the national anthem during the season uh, and, you know, as his way of protesting what he felt uh, was, uh, you know, uh, poor behavior uh, by the police uh, to black men and children, and um, you know whatever. We, we know we know why Kaepernick did what he did, um, and so you know he basically admits that. And now look, the Giants were not probably in the well. They were in the market for a backup quarterback. They signed Geno Smith of all people, but then they drafted Davis Webb in the third round. They already had Josh Johnson on the roster. You know, you could argue whether or not Kaepernick is a fit there for the Giants. I don't think he was. You know, that's not the kind of style of offense that they run. It's not conducive to his skill set. I have no problem with the Giants not signing Kaepernick. What I found interesting was that this is what the fans, this is their line. Josh Brown, the wife abuser, who the Giants signed to an extension last year and only after it got out that he was an abuser and had multiple issues. And the transcripts were released, and they were publicly embarrassed. Then they finally cut bait and parted ways with him. That didn't draw the fans' ire as much as Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the national anthem did. I mean, are you kidding? It's ridiculous. What's going on? I mean, boy, fans will forgive a lot of bad behavior. But uh, apparently kneeling for the National Anthem is, is a line that you just can't cross. It's sad. It's a sad commentary. Um, and pretty much, look, Kaepernick's still unsigned. Seattle's the only team that's shown any, you know, mild interest. He'd be a perfect fit there, you'd think. I mean, they don't really have a competent uh, or established backup quarterback there. I think Trevon Boykin is their backup, and, and he's had he had multiple off the field issues in college, and I think he just had an issue this off season, I think like a DUI or something along those lines. Uh so you know, and, and and the style of you know Russell Wilson, mobile quarterback, Kaepernick, mobile quarterback. I mean, it makes sense to me. Again, this guy, I understand everyone loves to point to his record at one in ten last year. That's his record. Yeah, and nothing to do with the fact that the Niners stunk to high heaven last year. The terrible team all around. Wretched offensive line. Terrible defense. 
wretched receivers. Look, I'm not saying the guy's Dan Marino, but he did throw 16 touchdowns against four interceptions last year on a terrible team, and he's certainly better than the likes of a lot of the guys that got signed so far in the offseason. Certainly better than Josh McCown. Uh, He's certainly better than Matt Barkley or Brian Hoyer, both of whom the Niners signed. Uh, You know, not that those guys are bad, but they're, you know, they're okay. They're backup types. Again, you know, I would have thought Pittsburgh would be a great spot for him, but they like Landry Jones, and so they don't need a backup quarterback. But uh, anyway, it's just fascinating. I mean, and, and by the way, he's on record as saying that his, his kneeling days during the National Anthem are over, that he feels like he made his point, he raised awareness. You know, again, this is a guy that, like, gives money and gives clothes to homeless guys. He gives suits out to guys going on, the, you know, homeless men who are trying to turn their lives around and go on job interviews, handing out suits. Yeah, he's a real creep, this Colin Kaepernick, huh? He's a real jerk. He's given thousands and thousands of dollars, I think, to, to, I forget where it was, but a country in Africa to help fight starvation and provide clean water. Yeah, what a, what a tool Colin Kaepernick is. And listen, I get it. I used to make fun of him all the time because of the tattoos and everything. And yes, I was guilty of judging a book by its cover. You know, I, 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 I'll admit it. I let his appearance cloud my perception of him. You know, this is going back to when he was drafted. But, you know, by all accounts, this guy's trying to make the world a better place. And yet, because he kneeled for the national anthem, he can't get a job in the NFL. It's ridiculous. And then finally... The NBA Finals, uh, there's a rumor that the NBA Finals are going to start at some point. I mean, NBA, what are you doing? What is with this ridiculously long layoff? I believe the first game is tonight. Let's take a look. I think the first game may actually be tonight. Let's see. Let's go to the NBA. Uh, You know what? I don't know. I can't see anywhere on the NBA homepage on wretchedespn.com whether or not the first game is tonight. I guess I should probably have known this before I started doing this show, huh? Uh, I think tonight is the first night. Um, Oh, no. Sorry. I stand corrected. Thursday night. Thursday. So we've gone, what, a full week? I mean... (laughs) That, that seems strange. That seems strange. So Golden State's had a ton of time off, and Cleveland's going to have plenty of time off too. Um, and it's interesting. You know, the Warriors are uh, the presumed favorites in the series. Steve Kerr came out yesterday and said, well, why would they be the favorites? Cleveland's the world champs. Well, and they have the, you know, you can look at it two ways. You know, there are those out there that say LeBron's the best player, and Cleveland won, so they should be the favorites. Uh, there are those out there that say, well, you know, Golden State had a 3-1 lead last year. Draymond Green got suspended for game six or five because he's a punk. 
uh, with his, you know, constant agitation uh, on the court, you know, hanging over guys, kicking guys, you know, whatever. Um, and that helped. And, you know, LeBron basically just put the Cavs on his, on his shoulders and, and willed them to win, to, to win that series last year in seven games. Um, so, but Golden State, you know, by all accounts, was not by all accounts, they were in position to close Cleveland out last year. They were up 3-1 in the series. And they added Kevin Durant this year. So, you know, Golden State has four, arguably the, four of the top 20 players in the NBA. I mean, I don't think anybody would debate that Durant's a top 20 player. Kerr's a, do, a top 20 player. Klay Thompson, top 20 player. Okay, maybe he is, maybe he's not, but he's right on the cusp. And same with Draymond Green. Whereas Cleveland's got LeBron. Okay, he's the best player? Sure. I've said it many times. You could give him the MVP every year if you wanted to. Kyrie Irving, is he a top 20 player? Maybe. Kevin Love, not so much. He's had a very good playoffs, by the way, quietly. He's averaging like 21 points and 12 rebounds for Cleveland. He's a good player. I mean, he's a very, he's a very good player. I don't know if he's a top 20 player. So if you look at it from that perspective, just based on who has more of the top 20 players in the league, Golden State does. And again, they were up 3-1 in position to win that series last year. And they added Kevin Durant. So I don't think it's stretched to say Golden State is the, is the presumptive favorite here. That, that, that makes sense to me. And now there's this argument, though, that, you know, well, Michael Jordan was never an underdog, so how could LeBron be as good as Michael Jordan? I mean, that, that is such lazy, stupid thinking. I mean, come on. First of all, they play two completely different positions, okay? LeBron James much different physically than, than Jordan was. And if you're going to try and tell me that LeBron James isn't as good as Michael Jordan, you're out of your mind. I don't care that Jordan was 6-0 in the finals. Okay, first of all, some of the teams that the Bulls played in the finals were not that great. Utah. Yes, I understand they had Stockton and Malone. And then who was their third best player? Brian Russell. Please. Okay. Uh, And, you know, yes, LeBron was on a great Heat team with Wade. But, you know, Jordan had Pippen. Who did LeBron have last year on that team is as good as Scottie Pippen was for Jordan? Don't tell me Kyrie Irving. So, and again, I don't understand the, the need we always have to compare, right? I mean, LeBron James, overall, if you look at the whole body of work, including off-the-court stuff, maybe somebody's been a better ambassador for basketball in the history of the sport than LeBron James. It's a guy who's clean as a whistle. Guy's been in the spotlight since he was 14 years old. Not one scandal. Nothing. Not a hint of a thing. Okay, look. Some people like to take shots at him because they, you know, Tony Kornheiser. And it's funny. I get it. He calls him the coach and the GM. And, you know, he probably got David Blatt fired. Okay, Magic Johnson didn't get Paul Westhead fired? And Pat Riley hired? I mean, you see this stuff happens all the time. But, you know, if, if you, you know, uh, Jason Kidd got Byron Scott fired. And by the way, LeBron turned out to be right. They won last year. Might not have been fair to David Blatt. I get it. Wasn't fair probably Magic Johnson got Paul Westhead fired. Riley won. You know, if you're right, you're right. 
You know, Magic Johnson also filled in at center and scored 40 points and had like 10 rebounds. You know, LeBron, again, took that team on his back last year. So, you know, you could take little shots at LeBron here and there all you want. And we've talked about him, you know, the decision ad nauseum. You know, look, I'm over it. And I said at the time, I didn't have any problem with him leaving Cleveland. It's the way he did it. Okay. It was a mistake. And we can, we've all moved on. He's made amends. He's gone back. He brought Cleveland a championship. So, you know, I mean, the, 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 the supposed chinks in his armor, there are none. Off the court and on the court, by the way. You know, listen, I understand he gets, you know, the benefit of the doubt and whistle. So, you know, Michael Jordan never got the benefit of the doubt. Mr. Anytime the Bulls needed to steal late in the game, he just go and foul a guy basically and take the ball away from him, never get called for a foul. But if you breathed on him, it was a foul and he was going to the line in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter of a playoff game, please. I don't want to hear it. LeBron James is the best ambassador for the sport of basketball in the history of the NBA. Plain and simple. I understand Jordan brought it to a certain level with the Air Jordan stuff and all the Mars Blackman, Spike Lee commercials and the Nike. And I get it. He was majorly important. No question about it. He was the towering figure for his time. But he also had a bunch of off-the-court scandals. Remember his exile, his supposed self-imposed exile from the sport when he went and, and uh, you know played baseball in the minor leagues for a couple of years. LeBron James is about as squeaky clean as it gets. So, I, I, again, I don't understand people's need to try to knock him down a peg and take shots at him and say, oh, he's not as good as Jordan. Who cares? First of all, if you want to just say who's a better player, LeBron James is a better player. He's just bigger. I mean, LeBron James is Charles Oakley body type with Jordan's skill set. I mean, Jordan was great, of course. And before LeBron James came, you could argue LeBron, Jordan was the best player of all time. I think people, fans of Bill Russell might have an, uh, something to say about that. And Oscar Robertson. And even Magic Johnson. Whatever. You take any of them. They're all great. So it's such a silly thing to try to knock LeBron down by saying, oh, he's not as good as Jordan was. You know, and yes, I am looking at you, Michael Wilbon, who I generally really like. But enough already. How dare anybody suggest such a thing that LeBron James could ever be as good as Michael Jordan? Silly. Silly. Now, getting to the series. uh, First of all... (laughs) All these games start at like nine o'clock, so that you know, and 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 generally speaking, there's no really need to watch an NBA game until the, you know, like the last five minutes of a fourth quarter. I mean, it's certainly regular season games. I understand this is the finals; it's a little bit different. Um, but I'm pretty sure I have a hard time staying up for all of these games. I mean, listen, I don't. I, I've said I find Golden State very hard to root for. I find the attitude of Curry to be uh, irritating. Draymond Green is irritating. Um, it'll be interesting, though. Steve Kerr's still not back. Mike Brown filling in, former Cavaliers coach. 
Um, so he's cl- clearly, you know, he'd love to win this series even more so than normal. Plus, it, I would imagine it improve his stock to get another head coaching job somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I like Cleveland to win. I would like Cleveland to win. My grandfather was a huge Cavaliers fan. I know they won last year. You know, the city of Cleveland, they, 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 they could use uh, a little sustained success for once in their lives when it comes to sports. Uh, I think Golden State is the better team, though. They are the better team. Listen, it's very simple. LeBron's going to have to play out of his mind, which he's clearly capable of. Well, not out of his mind. He's going to have to do what LeBron does. He's going to have to give you, you know, 25 to 30 with about, you know, 7 to 10 assists and 7 to 10 rebounds every game. But Love's going to have to continue to play great, and Irving's going to have to continue to play great. If one of those three guys has an off night, they have no shot. None. Whereas Golden State, on the other hand, can withstand an off night by one of their four. Because really, it's four to three. And I think probably Golden State has a better bench too. Iguodala, Sean Livingston. Hell, even JaVale McGee has given them good minutes off the bench. You know, Cleveland's bench isn't that great. I know Deron Williams had a couple of you know throwback games against the Celtics. And that was the Celtics. Different. You know, the the, the, the the Cavaliers' fourth best player is probably Tristan Thompson, who I like. I've talked about him many times, but I'm going to have to predict it. I'll do a prediction now, say Golden State in seven. But I'm rooting for Cleveland. All right, that's it for today's show. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Peace out.